You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello, welcome once again to Cinema a la Carte, a monthly podcast generally, uh, on part of the Dark Discussions News Network. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and the man that just snorted with a giggle from Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how are you, sir? I'm well. Excellent. And in the state of New York? This is Shiva, god of death. Indeed. Mike from New York. Uh, so, uh, who are we and what do we do? Well, basically, we are uh, part of the Dark Discussions News Network, which is www.darkdiscussions.com. Uh, you can email us two ways, uh, darkdiscussions at aol.com or through uh, the website and just press the Contact Us link on any menu on any page and an email box will pop up there as well. Just write cinema a la carte in the subject, and we will know that this email that you're sending is specific to this podcast here, because that email is the general po- email podcast for uh, the entire network. Uh, we don't have individual podcast emails. Uh, so uh, we will read your email on the podcast if you so uh, email us. Uh, now, uh, Eric, what, what, what is this, this, this podcast? What's, what's this all about? Uh, this is about doing movies that don't really fit under the Dark Discussions umbrella, so we talk about them here. Fair enough. And what else can people find on the darkdiscussions.com website, Eric? Patreon and stuff. This is a show where I don't plug things. And um, today's date, for folks who are curious, because some of our listeners like Pam are always curious when we record our episodes, because sometimes they don't come out immediately. Um, the game actually just came out today, uh, by the way, which is uh, episode 13 of the podcast. Uh, this will be episode 15. Uh, but today is February 20th, 2023. Uh, so you can uh, um, note uh, that this is the recording date for those who are curious, like Pam. Okay, so just, just for a moment. <laughs> when did we begin this podcast? Uh, well, we can... We'll take a quick look, and it's actually not that difficult to find out because I can just go to darkdiscussions.com, which I just did, and then I can type in cinema a la carte or, or hostels. I'll just type in hostels in the thing, and it says here that it was December 27th, 2019 that that episode was released. Okay, so we began in 2019, and it is now 2023, and you just released episode 15 and that's why i snorted when you said it's a monthly podcast (laughs) 
Right. But, and if we divide the amount of time from the first episode to today, it's really turned out to be a quarterly podcast. <laughs> In fairness, I don't think we ever set this up to be a monthly podcast, did we? Uh, it was monthly when we started and then stopped. It was monthly, monthly when we started, but the idea was doing it when we didn't have anything else going on. Like when that, we were, was, when, that was not the impression I was under. That was the impression I thought was like when we were doing two podcasts at a time, and then we'd stop doing two podcasts, whether it was Westworld or Game of Thrones. It was something to do in those interstitial periods when there wasn't something else going on, and then... You know, the world Maybe got complicated I was just and somebody decided at the time and was under the impression that you were also going to stop doing television podcasts after those ones were done. But that is not what happened. Well, even though that's the case, uh we've pretty much been recording monthly uh in the past three to four months now, which is pretty solid. And uh all the backlog is being released as well. So I think we're we're moving in the right direction, Eric. <laughs> I, I had to give you a hard time. I had to give you a hard time. It's my that's, job. That's fair. That is it's fair. what you don't pay me for. And that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> None of us get really anything here. Uh, but if people want to donate to Patreon, uh, go to patreon.com backslash doc discussions or press the Patreon link on the website on any page. Um, also, um, where you can find this podcast, there's three ways you can find it. The first is on the darkdiscussions.com website. All the episodes are there. Just type in Cinema a la carte, and you can listen or download the episodes right from there. The second way is to go to Cinema a la carte on anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, that's a, the feed. And so Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and so on and so forth. Uh, we are all there under Cinema a la carte. And then, of course, you can go to Dark Discussions Podcast feed as well. Again, wherever podcasts are found. And um, this podcast is always dropped in that feed as well because the three co-hosts on this podcast are all uh, the original members of the Dark Discussions Podcast group. So we, uh, since uh, folks who listen to us on our regular podcast, we assume you would be interested in, in these side podcasts as well, so we put it on that feed too. Um, anything else anybody want to bring up uh, related to Cinema a la carte? Right. Nope. Fair enough. All right, so uh, I guess we can get into our topic tonight. So, uh, Eric, what are we going to discuss? Let me do that again. That sounds stupid. Eric, what are we going to discuss tonight? <laughs> I have to do some dramatic tonight. drama there. Dramatic. Tonight. We're, we're gonna be... <laughs> Sorry, I have to collect myself. Oh, tonight, we're going to be talking about the 2007 legal thriller, Michael Clinton. Michael, thank God. Look, I, I, I got a situation. Arthur Edens just stripped down naked in a deposition room in Milwaukee. You are the senior litigating partner of one of the largest, most respected law firms in the world. You are a legend. I'm an accomplice. You're a manic depressive. I am Shiva, the god of death. I'm Michael Clayton. You're late. This is a $3 billion class action lawsuit. The architect of our defense has been arrested for running naked through a parking lot. He's building the case against you, North. Nobody's going to let him do that. Let him? Who the hell's going to stop him? I spent 12% of my life defending the reputation of a deadly weed killer. Arthur. No, wait. They killed him, Michael. 
You North needs to know he's under control. They've been shook up. They need to be reassured. What are you telling me? That I'm counting on you? I didn't want to say exactly what it was. Just that it was something that would win the whole case. I'm not the enemy. And who are you? You got all these cops thinking you're a lawyer. Then you got all these lawyers thinking you're some kind of cop. You got everybody fooled, don't you? You know exactly what you want. You gotta saddle up here, Michael, and get things under control. What if Arthur was on to something? Do you know Michael Clayton? We have a situation. Stay in the car, lock the door. What would they do if he went public? Arthur, open the door. What would they do? They're doing it. Freeze! Who called it in? Does that make sense to you? This happening It's right never now. happened. Get out. Get out of the car now. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so blind you don't even see what I am? Do I look like I'm negotiating? Oh, that's right. Uh, Michael Clayton is a film from 2007. Uh, it was the directorial debut of uh, the fantastic screenwriter Tony Gilroy, who is the brother of uh, the other Gilroy, John Gilroy, who I believe is the uh, director of Nightcrawler. Uh, so uh, the two Gilroy brothers are, are fairly uh, well known in Hollywood, at least specifically to film fans, because they both made Academy-nominated materials. Um, this film here was uh, produced by uh, a number of folks, but specifically uh, Sidney Pollack. Uh, it was written by Tony Gilroy, uh, and uh, his brother John Gilroy, who directed Nightcrawler, uh, was the editor. Uh, the film stars uh, a number of folk, uh, including George Clooney as the lead, playing the name character in the title, uh, Tom Wilkinson, uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, Sidney Pollack is in it. Uh, and then um, uh, a number of other folks of, of some note are in it as well, inc including uh, character actor Dennis O'Hare, uh, probably well known for various television shows and movies, including uh, his performance in uh, True Blood. Um, so uh, the film is 120 minutes, budget of 21.5 million, made 93 million. Uh, its critical acclaim is 91% uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the film grossed numerous uh, awards during the awards season, uh, including, uh, I think, close to seven or eight in the Academy Awards, which I guess is considered the most prestigious. Uh, but unfortunately, that year, it was a pretty strong year, uh, including um, No Country for Old Men. So uh, a lot of folks... Uh, that were up for this movie uh, did not win because of it. And I believe its only Academy Award win was by Best Supporting Actress Tilda Swinton. Um, so that's pretty much all I got. Uh, again, the film came out in 2007, so now we're talking 16 years. Uh, and this was when uh, George Clooney was a uh, probably what they would call a movie star because uh, back in those days, uh, movie stars were still pretty big uh, versus how it is now where there is really no movie stars except maybe Tom Cruise. Uh, but uh, this was uh, his heyday, uh, including Tom Wilkinson, too, at that time. Uh, so let's get into our thoughts on this film and how we heard about it. So um, I guess uh, I'll start. 
because uh, it was this, this was my choice. Again, how we do it on Samalakot each month, or in theory, or each quarter, if we go by the thing that Eric said. Um, we each choose a film. So uh, the prior film was um, The Game by Eric, and then 13 Monkeys by Mike, and then to me... 12, 12. 12 Monkeys, you're absolutely right. No, I did, we did the same. <laughs> So um, and then uh, and then P for Phillips because we're doing alphabetical order by first name. Uh, this was my turn, and so uh, I chose Michael Clayton. Um, yeah. So where I so how I heard about this film? Um, I was visiting my parents uh, with uh, my fiance at the time, which uh, is now my wife, um, in 2007 on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And my father had uh, access to Otis Air Force Base uh, because he uh, was part of the Coast Guard Auxiliary and worked uh, in the canal as one of the people there that uh, ran the lighthouse and all this other crap. And so we had access to the base. And so uh, a number of times back in those days, uh, we went to the theater on the base, which was free. And it was always brand new films. Um, so we went to the base um, back in the day you could just drive on the base but after 9-11 everything changed uh, so you have to show your card and all that stuff uh, so we went in and I started there at the movie theater so they have the national anthem that before they even start the film um, so my thoughts on the film that's how I heard about it I didn't even know it existed um, this film uh, since obviously I chose it I must have some affinity to it um, but yeah, um, this is like one of my favorite films of all time, um, and it's just awesome. Um, I've watched it maybe thirty to forty times, including twelve this week, just to be mental bad. health individual. Yeah, I know, but I don't watch regular TV. The professionals have been contacted. Just yeah, I know, but this this is a film I've, I've watched dozens of times. Uh, back when I got the disc yeah, in, the in a week. In the nineteen, in the two thousands and, and teens and stuff, yeah, yeah, I watched it like twelve or thirteen times in the last ten days or so, um, because I I would just watch it and then rewatch it right after. It, it's it's weird, I know. I did that with thirteen billboards, as Eric knows, and my wife thinks I'm insane. No, it's three um, billboards, twelve monkeys. I don't know why you're thinking about thirteen so much. Did uh, you break any mirrors today? Taylor Swift's number is 13, and she was born December 13th. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so we we go to this film here, and, yeah, it's just a masterly crafted film. The acting is phenomenal. Uh, what it says about society and pretty much all of us, meaning everybody, uh, is remarkably true without actually having to say so, and I'll get into why what I'm talking about when we start talking about the film. Uh, it's also an excellent character study of uh, of a person that just isn't happy about life, and uh, as a lot of us who are listening and probably even on the podcast know, uh, there's a lot of times we are down about what's the point of the existence of the world and life and people and, and society and stuff because it's also silly in some cases and this movie kind of shows that. Um, the acting is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Tilda Swinton did win the Academy Award, rightfully so. 
Uh, Tom Wilkinson, in my opinion, was probably the star. He was unbelievable. And then George Clooney was was um, probably uh, would have won Best Actor. I still think he should have, but they gave it to uh, um, that Irish Daniel Day-Lewis guy for uh, There Will Be Blood. No, There Will Be Blood. Um, And uh, um, Clooney was just like oozed uh, superstardom in this film. Uh, so yeah, uh, fantastic film, highest of highest recommends. Um, it's not necessary for everybody because it is a talkie thriller and so it's not action packed. Um, and I read so many reviews recently this week about how this is a film that couldn't even be made today because it's not a, um, spectacle piece. It's more of a adult movie, adult meaning, intellectually thinking person's movie and, and these type of movies don't exist much anymore is what some of these critics said. So that's my thoughts. Uh, the best of the best. Uh, let's go with you, Eric. Um, I heard about this movie because George Clooney was in it. Pretty sure I saw it in the theater, although I don't recall the experience. Um, yeah, I used to like this movie a lot more before the last week when Phil started spamming us I am Shiva, God of Death, because... He's a mental health individual. Uh, <laughs> but no, this is this is a very good money movie. Um, nothing Phil said is incorrect. It's very well acted and it's a very well made movie. Um, it hits home with me because although they don't, you know, they, they have a fictional company in the movie as the, the evil doer. Um, but yeah, this movie's about Monsanto. <laughs> um they can they can try and disguise it all they want, but it's about Monsanto, um, and I'm passionate about how evil they are. So I enjoy movies um, that bring that to light. So yeah, that worked for me. Um, uh, yeah, so I I like this movie. All right, that's good. And Mike, what do you got? Yeah, so I don't know when I heard of this movie. I don't know that I took note of the movie when I heard of it. Um, when was this released? In 2007, do you know? Oh, yes, I can get you that information. It was uh, fairly late in the year. Uh, it was uh, October 5th. Okay. So I, if I have my time correct, because being a teacher, I tend to think of my years and school years rather than, you know, human years. Um, that was a pretty miserable fucking year. Um so maybe I missed me missed uh I missed it. Um I, I gotta tell you it's I think one of the worst titles for a film because it's the name Michael Clayton is just not it's not like a real name, like, you know, Lincoln, you know, or Jobs. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a their name. So it doesn't like ring a bell. There's nothing like it's not like like is a hook to it, like Forrest Gump or John Wick. Um so it just kind of like lays there as a title to a film. And I don't know that there's a hook in this film either for marketing. You know, say what you will about um, the other films that came out that year, like Daniel Day-Lewis and, and There Will Be Blood, you know, is always giving this over-the-top performance. And, you know, you always get these stories about all the shit that Daniel Day-Lewis puts himself through and puts his fellow filmmakers through um, in order to immerse himself in the role and screaming, I will, you know, drink your milkshake. Or you have a character like Anton Chigurh in um, No Country for Old Men. And I don't think there's really any of that here. 
that allows it to just call attention to itself, which may be why it didn't get all the awards and, and, and all that other stuff. And, and I don't I even know how it did at the box office. Um, and I really knew nothing going into it, so I hadn't seen it until last night. Uh, but it is. It is a just a, a very, very well-crafted film, top to bottom. Uh, you're right. George Clooney gives an excellent performance. He gives an excellent performance basically playing a George Clooney part. You know, he doesn't do the, the showy um, Daniel Day-Lewis reinvent himself with every role kind of thing. He's just George Clooney playing that role. But he does it really, really well. Um, the writing is really good. Um, it is just a top-notch film uh, all the way through um, and certainly worth, especially if you like legal thrillers, it is worth watching. I don't know if I'd agree that it can't get made today. I don't know if it would get into theaters today, but I could see it being made for something. I mean, Jesus, there's, there's so much being made now that it would at least end up on a streaming service somewhere. Um, but, you know, even before this, how many legal thrillers, like the days of the John Grisham films, there weren't a lot of John Grisham films that were going to, like, rise to the same level as this movie, right? So, like, you're, you're the firm or the client or whatever the others, you know, were that he did. Um, no, this is a, it's a stellar example of how to do a legal thriller. It feels very believable as a... As a because he's a character who's not unrealistic. Um, he's a man with actual problems that go outside of the case that he's working on. And how he's handling the case, the, the case itself is messy. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of loose ends, and people don't all know exactly what's going on, um, as opposed to things that are often very, very clear-cut. And, you know, there's always, there's no mistake, there's mistakes made and so forth. So I really liked that. I think it was a really good film. I'm not going to watch it seven times or 12 times in the next week, though. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so it seems like we uh, all uh, like this film. And uh, Eric, uh, do we have a wiki or IMDb? Wiki, wiki. A law firm brings in its fixer to remedy a the situation after a lawyer has a breakdown while representing a chemical company that he knows is guilty in a multi-billion dollar class action suit. All right. Uh, sounds about right. A little too much information, I think, but but that's good. Um, so, for folks who are new to the podcast or our regular listeners, uh, what we do here on Cinema La Carte is fairly... Uh, like what we do on Dark Discussions, which is we have two sections of the review process. Uh, basically, we don't just come here to review a film. We also like to critique and dissect the film as well. So that means we will talk about spoilers and twists and specifics and uh, maybe what the screenwriter and director were trying to say and all these other things. Uh, but uh, the main thing is uh, we will throw a spoiler alert when we do get into that section. Um, so the first part of uh, the podcast, we will just talk about general things. So maybe we'll talk about uh, uh, companies and the world. Maybe we'll talk about George Clooney and Tom Wilkinson and Tilda Swinton a little bit. Maybe we'll talk about uh, legal thrillers or just thrillers in general. 
but not necessarily spoilery, spoilery, spoilery stuff. Uh, but we will throw up the the uh, the warning at that point, and uh, so you can go and watch the film, and then come back and listen. Unless you're like some of our listeners, like Kevin Lutz, who uh, is okay with uh, spoilers, even if he hasn't seen the film, because he just likes the the commentary that we give or communications and whatnot. So, uh, all right. So, uh, I guess we can begin and uh, talk about some stuff. Um, yeah. Um, there's a thing that's interesting about this film, which I read was the film is really intentionally named Michael Clayton. At least some critics have said this as they reevaluate the film. You know, so like reviews from like last year where they're reevaluating the film, and they said that this film isn't called the U North uh, Conspiracy or the U North uh, Damage Control or something. It's called Michael Clayton. So what that what does that mean? And they say in the, some of these reviews that they, that this is really a character study on an individual, and they use a bigger picture of a company and society and wrongdoings and mental health and all this other stuff as the things that go around this central character and how that puts that character into the melancholy individual that he appears to be in this film. And as you said, Mike, uh, um, the lead actor, George Clooney, is quote-unquote playing himself. But, you know, we've seen him play films in like, you know, Ocean's Eleven and all these other films where he's more of a uh, outgoing, non-depressed fellow. And here he's, even though he's still George Clooney, he's uh, very tired, very sad, very much wondering, has he wasted his life? Never mind having issues around him, including uh, his brothers, the Irish mob, uh, his company, the type of work that he does, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's where I wanted to start. What do you guys want to say? Uh, we can switch topics or go right into that. What do you want to say? Anyone? Um, well, I'll kind of I'll link to what you were just talking about is that um, as a lot of people know, uh, my buddy Dan, uh, who's my co-host on the Scancy podcast, uh, was previously a lawyer. And I found myself thinking about him a lot while I was watching this movie because <laughs> um, he used to be uh, – he ended up doing a lot of divorce by the end of uh, his run, uh, but he was a defense attorney. And, uh, man, it's a it's a rough gig. <laughs> Because you you've got to provide your client with the best defense, no matter uh, what the charges are or whether you think they're guilty or not. Um, and that's a huge bummer if you think they're guilty or know that they're guilty. Um, so he found himself at odds with that, um, and eventually stopped being a lawyer because it's because I mean the way he put it to me is that he was he saw the worst of humanity every day and he just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, so I found myself thinking about that a lot while I was watching Michael Clayton, because um, he's kind of you know he got he got kind of screwed over by his brother in this movie. Um, he's involved with this big mess with this big company for this big law firm who maybe has his back, maybe 
doesn't, depending on who ends up in charge. And yeah, so that was that was on my mind. Um, so I think what you're saying about the Michael Clayton character is absolutely right. This is um, a lot of this movie is about him and just his place in life at the moment that this movie occurs. Now, let me ask you this, because uh, I've always thought about these things, um, and this kind of, this kind of is, is what you just said wrapped up in a bigger societal thing, which is, are we all guilty? And what I mean, and, and as we know from uh, the Tom Wilkinson character and the George Clooney character, they may actually believe that. And the thing, what I mean is, is well, for example, my father, he worked for Raytheon for 40-something years, and my sister's been there now for like 30-something years. And as a joke, I said to my father uh, back years ago, um, did he feel guilty working for a defense company? And his answer was, I can't insult or attack the company I worked for because they were good to us, meaning they gave us food on the table and so on and so forth and put the kids through college and so on and so forth. Um, and then uh, we all look at things like Apple or Netflix or Amazon or Comcast. You know, you just name any company and whether they're using slave labor in China, whether they uh, control uh, part of the industrial media um pharmaceutical complex, whatever you want to call it, are we all guilty because, like you said, we all know that these bad things are going on, and yet we have the advantages of using it, even if we're too small or what right. seems to be inconsequential to do anything about it. There was, if, you, um, if, you if you don't mind, I'm going to try and slightly rephrase what you just said to, to be a little more straightforward. Josh, um, which is that um, there are a lot of big companies that do a lot of things that are wrong, and many of us uh, do business with those companies and turn a blind eye to those things uh, because of the convenience that they provide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's what it, that's sums up much easier. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, there was a, a, a really really good show. I highly recommend. Um, on NBC, there was a sitcom called The Good Place, and oh, that show's great. And just to spoil, basically, it's something that's revealed in a later season, because uh, it's basically a story about who gets to go to heaven and who gets to go to the bad place. It's revealed that nobody has gone to heaven for a very, very long time, and the reason being that we are all so interconnected to so many things that no matter what we do, we end up doing something bad. Even if we don't... Right, because uh, we're, we're complete, what's the thing that they said in three, um, three, 13, I mean, three billboards where she says, talks to the priest, she says, we're all... Three monkeys. No, the, the three... Yeah, I know, kidding. Uh, three billboards, she says to the, the priest, uh, if he works for the church and the church allowed something to happen, he's, because of a C, complacent or... Complicit. 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 So are we all complicit? Is that what you're trying to say, Mike? Well, my point is that it's a complicated world. That's what the show is saying. That, that and, right. So, like, you look at, you know, it's disgusting that Disney produced um, uh, 
Mulan, uh, live action uh, Mulan, right outside where their where their Uyghur concentration camps were, while at the same time it's you know making uh, proclamations about various social issues and, and other things in the United States, and there, there's all because it's all marketing things, it's all image management, and you're just hoping the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And honestly, some of these, so many of these corporations are so freaking massive, a lot of people don't actually know what is going on, what they're doing. Um, and, you know, you don't know all the ins and outs of all these different things. And a lot of them do, do no question, absolutely do terrible things, but they also provide services which, generally speaking, are good things, right? It's, um, they're, they're trying to give us things we, that we want. Now, in this case, they hand us something where it's very mustache twirly, uh, covering up of information, uh, sort of akin to like the tobacco companies and the insider, um, where they absolutely tried it, the tobacco companies to hide information about uh, their research on addiction and, and the toxicity of, of service, even though I think people knew about it because, the, but that's a whole other thing, uh, another soapbox. Um, and so here, like you have. I think the Roundup lawsuit was after, was well after this, wasn't it? Wasn't that in the late teens? Um, yeah. So, but that's like the first thing that came to my mind was was that it was the uh, was the Roundup. Um, but you know, there's stuff like DDT, like DDT. Why did we use DDT? Because we were trying to control malaria and save people's lives. Well, did the trade off of that was. Um, getting the pollutant out in the environment, which caused the eggshells of large birds to get thinner, and they would crush their eggs when they sat on their nests. So they hurt populations of, like, eagles and vultures and, and things like that. So there's all sorts – how much do they know? When do they know it? Do they cover it up after the fact? Um, you know, I think looking at, uh, like, the big uh, short was another one where if you look at it, it wasn't that they knew the things were going to happen that happened. But once they realized they were going to happen, they tried to save their own asses and not tell anybody what was going on. Right, right, right. And that's – now, and I am not going to defend them on that, but I also understand it's a very human impulse. The fact that corporations it's – it's done on a, on a massive scale with a corporation. But corporations are still people, right? They're still human beings running them. And they're going to have those, those. Is your name Mitt Romney? Innate instinct. No, no. I would say, but corporate. See, I don't like when people say what society's fault. Well, society's just people, right? All these things are groups of people working together, and all those groups of people are making individual decisions at the atomic level, right? When you break it down, um, so there's still decisions by human beings. There's decisions that the people make in this company. That are bad, and I think it's a little mustache twirly, right? Because I maybe I'm wrong. I don't know about Monsanto. I'm sure they did things that were not above board in covering things up. I don't know if they were planting car bombs. Um, right? No, no, no. This this is an extreme example to to right. make it more interesting for a fictional story. Exactly, but, uh, but, but there, there are, are real life stories of of. Uh, Companies covering things up like this, like oh, uh, absolutely, yeah, the yeah, cover like, up. There's a movie. There's a great movie called um, Dark Water, uh, starring Mark Ruffalo, um, based on the real story of a lawyer who decided to try and take Dupont to court for poisoning the water in a town um, with Teflon, um, 
and went on for for decades, literally, um, just because they had so much money. Uh, but he like uncovered actual documents where they, you know, in the seventies, they figured out that uh, this really wasn't great for the environment or people using Teflon, <laughs> and they kept on doing it to make money. Um, yeah, and, and like, civil I don't action. Anybody, I don't think anybody ever sets out. Um, like in this movie or in that, in that, you know, I don't think anybody sets out to give people cancer. That's not their goal. Um, you know, but I, but I think the actual problem is, uh, people's desire for money. Um, because at a certain point, uh, the profit outweighs any other consideration. And even if something is harmful, they'll cover it up so they can continue to make money. I was saying people rationalize very well, right? They, you know, they will believe what they want to believe, so they can rationalize away any harm that. Well, that's because no study, science, and um, that's the banality of evil. Right, science is never absolute, so there's always some shading of gray that you can cling to. Right, very rarely are things just like ironclad, 100% proof positive. Um. It, 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 there, there's a lot of uncertainty in this universe, and I always try to explain that to my, my students: is that there's, you know, those such the facts are not things that are proven true. There are things that are we accept as true based on the evidence that's available to us now, and then I can go through a litany of things that oh, everyone believed was true even recently, and then found out we were wrong. You know, even the most brilliant minds on earth bought in these things, and nope, turned out those things weren't true. So. That's always going to have something. If you don't want to believe that you that chemical that you're benefiting from and is paying for your your uh, your fleet of cars and your summer home and your children's education is causing cancer, because then that would mean you you did a bad thing and that would mean you're a bad person. There's a lot of incentive to deny it yourself, right? Well, and delude and I, yourself. Well, and, and that's where it comes to the, this this here is this this company you know of. They they invent this this um, pesticide that is supposed to be good, and then the scientists inside the the company discover that it's not good. And so, if they trash it, then they they lose gazillions of dollars, and people get fired, or they can cover it up, and uh, people die. And they just hope that no one finds out later, which will possibly um, make them lose gazillions of dollars and have people fired. So they they uh, make the the bad choice rather than just suck it up. But again, we don't know enough. What, you know, if they had sucked it up, would the company fold? But again. A company that folds with even with all those people that would lose their jobs or or even the damage that it causes to the company and and it lose has to lay off a few people including the the CEO is that better than having 417 people die of cancer and who knows how many other people and you know it's out there and of course it's better to come out and just suck it up than to do what this company did right like I said people people have ways of 
of fooling themselves, of convincing the themselves that of evil. Right. Um, and by the way, I also coach the Montreal team at school. I work. We work with a lawyer, and he he is a he does everything in town. And he's like so, and he will tell the kids, you know, uh, you'll have to pardon my language from time to time because I work for the fucking scumbags. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, and and, and, and I and I do have I have a book that's called uh, How Can You Defend These People because I want to like find a way to explain it. But everybody does deserve the best defense possible. And his solution, by the way, uh, I asked him. So, what do you do like when you when you have to defend somebody? Is like you know the the people that are you defend these fucking scumbags? And understand even the fucking scumbags deserve a defense because let's be honest, no matter how scummy those people are. Um, there are also innocent people uh, or people who are maybe did something bad but don't deserve to be railroaded either. Um, the government is a massive, massive power that it can bring to bear on you. So that's why the burden of proof is always on. Oh, Mike, let me ask you this. But his answer was very simply that he doesn't ask because they're just going to – he doesn't ask them if they did. He doesn't ask them if they're guilty because he knows that if they are, they're just going to lie to him anyway. All right. Let me ask you this. So, as an individual human being, if if you were in, if you meaning anybody, not just you specifically, Mike, were in that situation of that lawyer, are you part of the problem because you don't have to defend all these people, even if they do deserve a defense and the best defense they can get, because I, your conscience says that. otherwise? So. You could walk away and say, no, I'm not going to do that, and let someone else um, do it who is less, uh, I guess, um, Well, no, no attorneys – no, attorneys are under very strict ethical guidelines, and um, people may laugh at that idea, but it's true. Um, there are things – now I'm saying that they don't ever break these guidelines – but if they're caught breaking them, then they can be disbarred uh, temporarily or permanently. They can be sanctioned. Um, so I'm pretty sure that, number one, they are not allowed to continue – help continue the crime. Covering up these things would be continuing – helping continue the crime. And they're not supposed to be hiding or destroying evidence either. Any evidence that comes to light is supposed to be shared. So when they find these documents – Right, they are legal. I, I think this is my understanding. They are legally obligated to put them out there, and for the attorneys to then hide those documents. So it's one thing to like the because that's really what this is all about is a document, um, which can be scrutinized and challenged in court in terms of its authenticity and so forth because the original version was destroyed and blah 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 blah. Um, they can. You know, put it out there in court, and they can argue that it's that it's fake, that it's not real. What's the veracity of this? But they, what they can't do is destroy it or bury it. Is what they're not supposed to do, because then you're, again you're 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 assisting in the cover up, which means you're assisting in the crime. So they are they're very definitely limited as to what they're supposed to be able to do. They're not supposed to be helping the criminals get away with crime. And in this case, this is where you have this company engaging in criminal behavior and they are I'm from the reaction of the people there they know they're dealing with scumbags but they're not aware of the degree to which this company is going to protect itself right so are they complicit 
whether they unknowingly know they're complicit, and but they're also cheap doing what they're paid. Right, right, right. So, so, so the, the the comedy show that you said is that no one's going to heaven because everybody's interconnected. Maybe more guilty than others, but you know, if you buy an iPhone, you're guilty. Versus these people here who are defending a company they know are awful, they're as guilt. They're guilty too. So, well, I I want to step in here with my opinion. Um, I disagree simply for the fact because if they weren't doing it, somebody else would be. Um, they're part of the legal system, and part of the legal system is giving everybody a defense. Um, so I don't think they're complicit because they're doing their job. Well, and that's my point is uh, with Mike's example of the, the lawyer in his town, which is he doesn't have to do it. They don't have to, but they mm-hmm. choose to. So if we just look at each individual's as a soul, especially if we use Mike's TV show example, they if they walked away and said, I'm not going to do it, and some other person does it, their soul is saved in a sense, at least in that case, because they refuse to do the the defense of a company that deserves a defense, even with, if they're bad. I think you're dealing with a larger good, um, which is that there has to be a system. No system is perfect. But we can look at, say, oh, I don't know, Stalinist Russia. You know, we can look at China right now. Um, there's, there's any, no, what was that? There was, um, there was a TV series. I can't remember. Was it uh, like Jailed Abroad or something like that, which like talked about Americans who went overseas and ended up getting locked away. Um, there's no protections in a lot of these countries and even countries that we consider to be on par in terms of human rights as with the United States. And They're guilt, you're guilty rather than innocent before. Right. Well, I think it was like Japan where you could be held. If, please, please correct yeah. me if I'm wrong on the, the specifics here. Yeah. Where a lot of the European like, countries are that way too. Where you could be Except held for like a, a month without being charged yeah. where uh, the, I think it was the, they were talking about how the Defense, it's kind of like it's shameful to defend a person if everybody thinks they're guilty, right. which is which is weird because we can pull up things like, say, the Central Park Five or the Duke Lacrosse case where everyone thought they were guilty and they ended up not being guilty. That's right. uh, so the idea here is to get the right people. It would be lovely if we had a system where we knew for a fact – who are the guilty ones and who are the who are the innocent ones, um, and who are the? But we don't, and so everybody gets that defense because who is to say? And so yes, that does mean you're going to end up defending people who are guilty, and you hope to hell the people who are prosecuting know what the hell they're doing, and will be able to deliver justice. The problem is when you start playing games. I um, I listened to um, a legal podcast and one of the cases that came up recently. Uh, I can't remember who the company is, and I don't want to mention a company for fear that I'm naming the wrong one. We're basically sanctioned by the judge for playing bullshit games, which is which are typical bullshit games you see from any large company, which is the, fine, you're going to sue us. We're going to hit you with so many counterfactuals because we have all these lawyers on retainer anyway. We're paying them regardless, and we're going to bankrupt you and postpone this and postpone this. So he drags it out for as long as possible. We're going to, you know, give you as little as possible. And like the judge, you know, 
like, and, they, and they, their lawyers basically, but judge, you asked us to do it, and we provided it. And he said, yeah, and the judge said, yeah, but I had to ask. I should have even had to have asked. You should have provided these papers and things like that. So these companies, um, these lawyers will engage in any tactic. There are loopholes in the system. They will use whatever rules they can to, to gain the system and turn out to the best advantage with, for the clients, and that is part, part of the problem. And I have no idea how you reform the legal system to get rid of these things. What are the possible negative consequences? Because like a lot of things, um, there's so many other legal principles tied up with other ideas and cases and things that once you change one thing, you could have unforeseen consequences. And these loopholes exist because of other changes you made other places. So I don't know what the answer is. You would need somebody with way more, way, way more legal background than Eric and I have, which is just, well, we know lawyers and have spoken to them. <laughs> you know? Right. But I'm not even um, looking at it that way. I'm looking at it as an individual human being can make you a choice and they don't have to sign up and work for that company or that no, lawyer. No, they, they don't have to. And, you know, firm. you don't have to be a mob lawyer, right? No one says that, you know, if Tony Soprano comes in your office, that you have to be the guy to represent him. Uh, Tom will, Hagen. Yeah, Tom Hagen. I will, I will absolutely go back to uh, to my, you know, one of my favorite shows of all time, which is Better Call Saul, you know, where you can see the many times that character had decisions to make and consistently made, like, the wrong ones because he let the money convince him or let other things convince him that drove him in going into the wrong direction where he could have, you know, just been filling out wills for nice little old ladies. But nope, the, the, the drug dealer wants wants him as to defend him and he's gonna offer you all this money. So I just wanna I just wanna clarify Phil's position because I'm I'm on the edge of vehemently disagreeing with him. Because it sounds like what you're saying, Phil, is that any defense lawyer that ends up with a client who's guilty is a bad person, and I don't think that's true. No, I'm I'm, I'm that's that, that's a fair point, but that's not what I mean. I, I mean, you can become a lawyer, like a tax attorney or some other type of attorney, and not and still make a good living and do a good job at your work, and not get in a spot where you're compromised like these people are, as as we'll see when we start t- discussing Tom Wilkinson's character. Now, all right, so, you know, we, we've been talking about uh, the the morals and the interconnection and all that stuff. Uh, maybe at this point we should start talking about the movie and the specifics of the film itself and the characters and all that. So uh, is everybody all right if we throw up the spoiler? I'm fine with it. All right, so we'll just sort of drop the spoiler at this point here. So we'll talk about everything and anything. So more specifics to the film now and how some of this relates to the film rather than just uh, general stuff. Um, all right, so we're in the spoiler section now. Um, so let's let's talk about the little setup here. So basically um, we learned that uh, George Clooney's character played by Michael Clayton uh, is what they call a <laughs> fixer. Just say George Clooney, who plays Michael Clayton. Okay, that, that's not what you said, but okay. Oh, oh, I, you George Clayton played by Mikey, Michael Clooney? Oh, whatever. <laughs> Either way, uh, I, we we had to pause for a second because it's uh, it feels discombobulated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's just say that one of the childs 
upstairs as it was being a little stinker. So anyway, um, we uh, find out that he, Michael Clayton, is a fixer, uh, which means uh, he's a lawyer that fixes up all the messes that happen to the various clients for this giant company uh, lawyer firm that he works for called Kenner, Bach, and Ledine. Uh, it is curious that we find out that Michael Clayton is not a partner, uh, which is an interesting aspect. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, the firm is uh, run by uh, a number of folks with uh, Marty Bach, played by Sidney Pollack, uh, who is actually one of the, the names on the, um, the, uh, the company name, the lawyer firm's name. Um, now we have Tom Wilkinson, who is Arthur Edens. He's a lawyer and a partner that works for their biggest uh, case or client, uh, which is a company called U-North, which is a uh, kind of a giant conglomerate uh, company, but uh, specifically uh, they make um, uh, products to help farming, basically. Uh, what's that, Eric? Pesticides. Yeah, pesticides. Um, and then uh, Tilda Swinton is the counsel uh, or the head lawyer, uh, therefore, an executive at U North, the company. Uh, so, what happens is that Arthur Edens uh, uh, has a breakdown, whether he was always bipolar or or man manic, manic or whatever, uh, isn't really the point, uh, in a sense, because what happens is, is that uh, he basically is having a breakdown because he's been working on this case for like 13 years, and there, I can use the 13 finally, um, where he, uh, actually I think it's six years, but either way, whatever number it is, he is forced to, uh, find, or not forced to, but he just finds out that he is helping or trying to protect this U North company from being sued for possible uh legal action against them for the death of 400-plus people from uh, cancer from one of their products that may not be safe. And he begins to have a nervous breakdown because he doesn't feel like he is a good human being uh, and that he's part of the, the uh, compliant in, in this. Uh, and then we have um, um, uh, Michael Clayton who wants to possibly get out of the, being a lawyer because he doesn't feel clean doing what he's doing either. And so he open, tries to open up a business uh, restaurant slash bar in uh, probably uh, uh, Brooklyn, uh, the hip area, the hipster area or whatever. But uh, his brother, unfortunately, is a drug addict, and he steals the, the, all the money. And so the Irish mob is now after um, Michael because uh, Michael decides to take up the – the bill from the Irish mob instead of his brother, so his brother won't get whacked. Uh, unfortunately, Michael Clayton has no money either because his brother stole all his money. Well, uh, and he has a gambling problem. Oh, that is true. Yes, and he has <laughs> his own behavioral health issue. Uh, he he has a gambling problem, so he's blown a lot of his own money as well. Uh, and then Tilda Swinton's character, Karen Crowder, as we mentioned, is the head of the the uh, law department at U North, and we could just say that um, I'll just use the words that most of the critics uh, I read uh, said uh, that she's a sociopath. 
Um, though one critic did say that she's a victim of a patriarchal society. But we, uh, of we, course she does. Of, of course, because God forbid first. she has her own uh, uh, agency and can decide to do shitty things on her own. Because nope, women can't do that. Only men can do shitty things. Right, right, and and and, and I don't basically, think like, the is the right word though, because she appeared to feel bad about it. I think it was she feel bad that she's going to get caught, <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, all right, I can I see that what you're saying. Yeah, when she's sweating in the beginning, yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that's fair. Uh, also, Don Jeffries is the head of the the U North CEO, uh, played by Ken Howard, who is known for playing uh, the coach in White Shadow uh, back in the day. Uh, and it's odd to think this, but only 13 years later, both Ken Howard and Sidney Pollock have uh, passed on. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, people are dying. Yeah, my um, wife spotted him. I hadn't. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, by the way, one of the guys is uh, I can't remember the name of the act, the character, but he played uh, I guess Danny from uh, Caddyshack. Was another one of the actors. Oh, you know, how about that? Recognized because it's you know twenty seven years oh, later. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so. That, that's pretty much the setup. Uh, it starts off where Michael Clayton has to go uh, do his fixturing after leaving a, a poker game. Uh, and we've learned pretty quick that he uh, is a melancholy folk because there's a guy at the poker table um, that um, he insults. And then they, they the guy just starts reaming him pretty bad. So Clayton leaves. And he gets called in by this guy named Walter, a fellow partner, or actually a partner, unlike him, who's out in Bermuda, who can't help this big client that just ran over somebody and and left the scene uh, at midnight up in Westchester County. And that character actor is uh, Dennis O'Hare, who plays this guy, Mr. Greer. And so Michael Clayton has to go up there and fix it. And we find out that he's a janitor, is what he calls himself. Not now- this movie does something that I is one of my least favorite things in movies, which is that it starts you off by showing you secrets of events, and then says four days earlier. Yep, <laughs> that pisses me off because like you just put a spoiler in your own movie. What the fuck? Um, right. And I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that approach. Um, I did yeah, because the whole I film is, is a flashback. Game this time around. Um, I don't know if I'm just dense and didn't pick it up before, um, but did, did either of you notice that uh, he gets a check for $80,000 um, from the from the company, the lawyer's office, but then when he gives the check to the Irish guy, it's seventy five. Yeah, that was correct, because what it was, it was 60000 He owed the, the Irish mob, or his brother did, but he took the, the ticket for his brother. And then it was fifteen grand points, meaning the interest. Yeah. So it was fifty seventy-five thousand he owed the Irish mob. So basically, he, he had went five to that poker game because he scammed money out of his company. Uh, no, he he, he kind of technically was true. He said he lost all his money because uh, and he needed to cover the bar. So, but yeah, yeah but he said the amount is five grand too high, and he wouldn't have been at that poker game without the five grand. That is a fair point. You're absolutely right. Yep, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so that extra five grand he he used for the poker game. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so he still has his behavioral health issues, for sure. Yep. Uh, and so uh, the thing that was interesting about this whole first scene is um, as he's driving back to where he lives, which is Manhattan or Brooklyn or where the hell he lives, um, he spots these three horses on a horse farm uh, in Westchester. Uh, Parks goes up to look at the horses, um, you know, because it's like a quote-unquote magical moment. And then we learn later that it's from a book that his young son and his friend Tom, uh, Arthur Edens, played by Tom Wilkinson, have. And um, so he goes up there, and as he's up there looking at the horses, his car blows up. So then it goes, says four days later, as you said, Eric. And then we begin. So the whole rest of the movie is a flashback. Um, so the next scene shows the book in the video game. The uh, what's it called? Uh, Realms of Con and Conquest or something? Yeah, something. Yeah. Um, Uh, and then it sets up pretty much the the rest of the the beginning of the film, which is we learn that he's he's seventy five grand in debt to the Irish mob, and the Irish mob guy is kind of like the lawyers and stuff because he's not really thinking he's a bad guy. He doesn't hate Michael Clayton. He, he just needs his money. He just needs his money. You know, if and any if they were neighbors, they'd probably be good buddies. You know, or or say hi. You know, have a beer after mowing the lawn. You know, but. Yeah, so that I felt that was an interesting relationship, and then um, we learned that he lost all his money because of his brother and the gambling uh, in that one scene. And then there's another interesting thing too in that scene is it's at the bar and there's an auctioneer auctioning off everything, and he's selling off all the furniture. And there's a line later in the, in the film that Sidney Pollack says, "If if we we don't get that money from you north, we're gonna have to." Close down and sell all the furniture, and um, so I thought that was a kind of a good two beat, or as as uh, Chrissy would say from the Dark Discussions podcast. Um, and then we learn about um, Arthur Eden, who is in a deposition in Milwaukee, which is where U North is headquartered, uh, or maybe headquartered, uh, about the. This Anna, this girl that that is a survivor from the, the chemicals that killed her parents and are killing her brother, um, he takes off all his clothes and goes nuts. And Karen Crowder, played by Tilda Swinton, uh, is sent in to, to see what the hell's going on because their lead counsel is now uh, made a, a manic. Um, thing at a deposition that obviously isn't good for them because if you lose your lead counsel and he's crazy, uh, could they destroy your case and your own company? I think you got that mixed up, Phil. Karen Crowder works for the other side. Well, that's what I'm saying. She comes in uh, for you North. She works for you North. Yes, yes. And she oh, yeah. comes in. Just making to, sure what is clear. Yeah, 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 exactly. So basically what it is, is she comes like in for you North. Company. Yeah, yeah. She comes in for you north to see what the hell's going on because she's they're in panic mode because their head head lawyer for, for, from 
Michael Clayton's company just went nuts. And then Michael Clayton is sent in to try to fix the damage with Arthur Edens as well as uh, Karen Crowder in U North. And the thing is that uh, I read is that Arthur Edens' name may be intentionally named Arthur for King Arthur in Edens as in the Garden of Eden. I thought that was That's interesting. Silly. Uh, yeah, well, he's it just is. Like, we've already been this. Uh, we can't hear you, Mike. You're out. Mike, you're out. We can't hear you. Mike? Can't you speak? All right, I'm going to pause it. Well, wrong with yeah, sorry. So I had missed a lot because um, uh, Spike is a good boy, but he doesn't know what the power button does. So yep. uh, he stepped on the laptop and turned it off. But, um, Doors. but yeah, I absolutely think, because I thought that. So his name is, his name is, is, I don't know about King Arthur. But I certainly think Eden, um, you're talking about a, a, a company that's symbol is plants and green and, you know, it's all about growing shit. Um, so I, I think that's, and the man strips naked, right? Because that's the whole idea. And the whole point of the corruption garden in Eden is the, you know, forbidden knowledge, right? Um, so... Yeah, I think that's to me that that's pretty clear why they they do that, why they take that. Um, that right. Yeah. Um, I honestly didn't even know what his last name was. I just thought it was Arthur. <laughs> um. So what, what's 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 let's get into uh, some of the plot then. Uh, where do we want to go from here? Uh, that was pretty much the setup. We just did. Well, that was the setup. You know, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's a strange film because it's it's slow and they give us pieces at a time because at the beginning of the movie, we have a voiceover of Arthur Eden's going nuts or talking about – not going nuts, but let me rephrase that – talking about things and how everything's corrupt and, and he feels like he was pooped out of a, the anus of evil and therefore is, is helping the bats and all this other stuff. And then – we slowly learn out, learn what's going on, and, and the thing is, is that that even uh, Michael Clayton doesn't even know that U North is is necessarily bad. He just thinks his his friend had a, a breakdown because thirteen mm-hmm. years earlier, yeah, that's the thirteen. Thirteen years earlier, he had a, a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. and Michael had to help him then, and they, and they're good friends. Um, and then. What happens is, is they start looking for his briefcase, Arthur Eden's briefcase, after this meltdown. But Tilda Swinton's character, uh, Karen Crowder, gets it before the law firm. And that's when we find a big break, which is Arthur Eden's has a memorandum that was signed to cover up the fact that they knew in advance – from scientists that worked for the company that the pesticide was a cancer agent and should be discontinued. However, the scientists didn't know what to do, and so it went all the way up to um, the CEO, and the CEO, rather than throwing away millions and millions and millions of dollars of development and losing stock and all this other stuff because, you know, once they go out and they say, oh, we have to pull it, the stock price is going to drop. He covers it up and he signs a memorandum saying, 
cover all this up and, and keep on pumping out this pesticide. <laughs> and Karen Crowder freaks because if this lawyer who they hired to, to defend them in court now knows that they are 100% guilty and he just went nuts, or at least they think he went nuts, she is worried that he may go public and therefore destroy you north uh, without even it having it go to court. Well, and she's not wrong. <laughs> no, no, she's not. She's not. But she is wrong in how she goes about to try to correct the problem. Right. So what do we think of Arthur Edens? Is he, he obviously he does have some a breakdown, but is he truly mentally insane or is he having a conscious issue that goes that, along with some some behavioral health issues he has? I think he's and, having a nervous breakdown and I think yeah. it's likely to happen to anybody who works in a high pressure law firm like that. Especially I think it's a matter of both. I think what's causing the nervous breakdown is, is the, the crisis of conscience. Um, is that he's found out that he's not representing people who may have inadvertently done a bad thing. That he's representing clients who have completely done a bad thing. And knowingly knew they were doing a bad thing and covered up they were doing a bad thing. Right. And and the problem is the firm is in a, that he's working for uh, is in a position that he, I guess he's a partner of is in a position where if they lose this contract, right, they can't pull out, um, they'll, they'll get sued for malpractice. Uh, they're, they're, the firm is never going to survive. And there's a lot of jobs on them. You know, they forget about the you know, end money and all the rest. Um, so he doesn't know what to do. I mean, he wants to do the right thing, but it's going to cost uh, a lot of people a lot of jobs and a lot of money. And yeah, if he does the right thing, awesome. basically it means that his law firm is going under. Right. And all the people that would hurt. Mm. And and even ignoring that, he's recognizing that he has, uh, I would argue inadvertently, um, been helping people who didn't make a mistake and not people who are just a little scummy, people who did something that was just flat out evil. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know, I don't know what I would do in this position, uh, but I, I think uh, having a breakdown makes, makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I, I, I think I would probably have a breakdown too. Uh, I don't know, wouldn't do what he did and take off all my clothes and, and, and the thing is, is he actually says why. If you pay attention, since I've watched it 12 times in the past week, um, what he says it in so many words that he took off his clothes because he was trying to um, remove the, the, his skin. That was like his skin of evilness, and, and he was trying to get rid of that. And then he says to Michael, he goes, yeah, that was a mistake because uh, I thought it would be therapeutic, but it didn't work. I'm still – basically evil, you know, I'm Shiva, the god of death. Um, and so, yeah, he had a complete nervous breakdown, and no matter his behavioral health issues, 
that he may or may not have had, medication he was on or not, I, I can understand even if he was completely sane without any behavioral health issues, that he could have snapped just for the fact that, oh, my God, I'm defending. I just yeah, a decade of my it life. It would be a horrible position. Yeah, yeah, and that's just terrible. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think it's, uh, like I said, I don't think it's one or the other. Right, that's yeah. true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the two things together that yes. have caused this problem. I have no idea what we were talking about. All right, so, uh, yeah, so the behavioral health stuff and all that. Um, so, oh, 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 I, I was about to say that if he had discovered that document, like, four weeks in the suit, it would have been a completely different situation because then you don't have that many years and that many resources sunk into the whole thing. Well, and they, right. they can't sue you for malpractice. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so, and, and again, his conscience, too, he would have been, said, oh, remove me before any of this happened, too. Assuming mm-hmm. he didn't grow. We don't know. I mean, maybe he was a scumbag himself way in the back. I guess he felt like he knew he was part of the machine, but he just sucked it up because, you know, of his family. <laughs> but, but then, yeah, but then what happened, we learn about his history, is that his wife passed away. And that devastated him, from you know, from cancer or who knows, we don't know. And then his daughter is 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 a, a nut job, and won't talk to him anymore. And we get verification that she's a nut job from other characters in the in the film, which they uh, she's even more crazy than Arthur ever will be. So we're I can assume that she's probably not necessarily a good person, but. Either way, he's all alone now, and, yeah, so that doesn't help, too. So his personal life is going down the tubes. And so once his personal life, he has nothing to live for in his personal life, he now can focus on things that he he wouldn't have cared about necessarily before because now he doesn't have a wife and a kid and all this other stuff to protect and and whatnot. So, so yeah, he's uh, all messed up. Um. Now, let's talk about, uh, do you want to talk about um, Michael Clayton's character? Do you want to talk about Tilda Swinton's? Do you want to talk about um, even maybe Sidney Pollock's character? Because he's one of those guys that um, isn't a bad guy, but he works for a company that protects bad people and therefore could be bad as well. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, What's on anybody's list? Anything? All right. Well, let me let me let me start. Well, I and, think yeah. Go I ahead, think Mike. they yeah. do. I I missed unfortunately because of Spike. I missed the, the conversation about the, the the flashback and the flash forward and the. I, I'm going to guess the reason they did that is because there's really nothing that happens in the beginning of the film, and this way they get to start with some excitement happening and they get to do the little story. They could have done the story about the the hit and run one way or another, right? Um. Yeah, that that was handled. It's a good introduction to what type of lawyer he is, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. But it also shows that while he's a fixer, he's not going to do things that are illegal or completely unethical, right? Because he comes in, it's like, no, you fucked up, you're a dumbass. You know, it's not what he says, but it's basically <laughs> what's implied. 
is you know he's not a he's not a miracle worker. You know that he can't just magically make this problem disappear. Mm-hmm. You hit somebody, right. oh. they're looking and, at paint chips. They'll be by right. tomorrow morning, if not sooner. Right, and and then the guy, Mr. Greer, the guy that did the hit and run, he he tries to say, how about if we say the car was stolen, and. And, you know, so and you're right. Michael Clayton didn't go with that, and he is a fixer or a janitor, if you prefer, without with, without breaking the law. So he looks for loopholes, but he doesn't break the law. Yeah, he could have helped him. Like if he had, if this had happened, like he's not the wolf from Pulp Fiction. Right. Um, if this had happened and he called him right away before he left the scene, he would have told him to stay there. Um. He would have been able to say, "Okay, we can. This is how we can fix this. Is this guy was jogging at night? No, no, no. It's there. There may have been some plausibility as to uh, why he was a he was maybe not completely at fault at this. Uh, but once you leave the scene of the crime, then you're an asshole. <laughs> then you're an asshole, right? Then you're screwed, and there's nothing he can do about it." Um, you're going to get caught, and you didn't drive uh, a you know a gray Toyota, where there might be a thousand of them in, in the Los Angeles right. area. Right. right, and he also used the thing that you know we're in Westchester County. There's no crime here. You, you, the, car, the state troopers are only six miles away. Um, it's a slow night. Believe me, you're on the top of their list. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Michael Clayton graduated from uh, Washingtonville High School. Uh, that's not far from me. I used to sub there. A long time ago, kids were assholes, so that makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah. So then, yeah, like we said, we flash forward. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, setting up Michael Clayton's issues with with the mob and his brother. Uh, and as Eric, you said, the five thousand he he got extra from the, the company, so he could use it to gamble. Um, so he heads out to Milwaukee. To uh, get Arthur Eden's back, unfortunately, uh, well, to meet with Catherine Crowder too. But go on, Mike. Ever. I was just gonna say I don't. There's some an aspect of this movie that doesn't make sense to me, and maybe I'm just dense, but I don't understand. I mean, the girl who was in the room giving the deposition when yeah, he man. had his incident, like. He ends up like talking to her on the phone and flying her out to New York, and I don't understand why all that happened. Well, that that's a good thing. So basically, what it is is he's against Anna because he's defending you North, but he has his enlightenment moment and breakdown, and he says to Michael Clayton that Anna is like a lens. In other words, he was something about her was innocent and all this. And so he says, she was like a lens to me. And when you, you put on a lens and you look through the lens, you see everything differently and more clearly. And so he decides to call her, and she even says it on the phone. She goes, why, out of all these people, 400 and something people in the lawsuit, why are you calling me? And he goes, I don't know. And then he says the lens story to her too. And he goes, you know, you just look at something different. And for some reason, she trusts him. And since he's such a childlike character at this point, like she is, they kind of get along really well, especially since she now knows he's on her side. And 
he flies her out to New York because he's going to pass out the 3,000 folders that he, he made to prove that U North was guilty and win their case. And he was going to probably call the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Post, Daily News, and so on and so forth. So, But why do you need her there? He, because he, he was going to have her as the witness, I'm thinking, at the press conference that he was going to do. Say, here's Anna, who's one of the victims, who's been victimized by U North. Uh, you know, her parents died of cancer. Oh, okay. her, well, that's yeah. lame, but all right. Well, he's insane, and again, he looks at her as his innocence. Well, but he's also bringing in the other party, right? And yeah. I don't think that's quite insane. I think that's – he takes the representative that he's been going against and the yeah. person who actually has, um, has a stake in the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So I think it just makes sense for him to have her there. And I we, I don't know what it is. Well, she cuts a sympathetic figure, but yeah. I really don't think there's like any value to have somebody there as a quote unquote witness. Oh, I think he's I think he's a fifty something sixty year old man who's a little bit smitten with her. Uh, I don't think it's entirely a pure pure thing, even if he doesn't want to. Admit I was afraid of that. <laughs> well, also also though he 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 um. That, you know, you have the sympathetic witness. That I mean, that helps his conscience too. I think. Yeah, and I also say, like, I don't. I'm not saying that he's necessarily uh, wanting to, um, you know, right? Hook up with her. Hook he, up he, with her. But, but, but he maybe because you, you you do have certain things like where you can have those internal sensors that say. You know, oh, maybe he's smitten with her, but because of the age difference, but like maybe he just reminds him of his daughter, or right. That's what I was it thinking. channels yeah. it in more of yeah. a positive way rather than that, you know, uh, Harvey Weinstein way. way. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I think he just has those that affection for her. Particularly, he's made that connection with her for whatever reason. Um, he's made a connection with her, and I think he's going to use her to to help blow the whistle because uh, he needs an ally somewhere. He needs somebody he has right. to be able to tell about this, and he needs somebody he trusts. I, I think that's that's it. And then, of course, the reason that she gets stuck at the airport is because uh, yeah. he decides to jump out a window. And, you know, oh no, 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 not jump out a window. Take overdose on pills. That was it. He overdosed on pills. <laughs> Quote unquote. Um, now, I, I want to talk about this because this scene too, because it's related to all that. Which is when he's in. So Michael collects him at the the police department in Milwaukee, and they're in the hotel room. And Michael, you know, just loses his phone uh, in the bedroom. And and uh, Arthur is, is trying to calm down in the bedroom. And George Clooney's, or uh, Michael Clayton's young son, 10-year-old or whatever, calls the cell phone to say hi, Dad, or whatever, you know, good night or whatever. And Arthur picks up the phone and has this big, long conversation with Michael's son childlike about the book and video game series that his son Michael's son's into and we have a scene earlier where Michael's son's trying to explain it to Michael and Michael's being like a typical parent going oh yeah 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 sure wow oh yeah wow that's interesting yeah well you know like not really paying attention and 
Arthur, though, pays attention. And everything the kid's saying is basically in the game and then in the book are how he feels. Because the game is basically what it is in the book is that all these people are in this fantasy world, you know, like Lord of the Rings or, or Game of Thrones or something. And they all um, are banded or lost or, or, or something. And, and they land up in this camp or town, if you prefer, but it's really just a camp. And that none of them know where they are, how they got there, and if the people that are in the camp with them are from our enemies or not, whether they're from the opposing army or not or whatever. But now that they're all in the camp together, even if 